I'm Vicki Lawson. And I'm Sarah Elwood. We're the co-directors of the Relational Poverty Network, which is a collaboration among over 500 scholar activists and educators working on questions of impoverishment in the broadest sense. The network convenes conversations amongst people working in very different places around the globe in order to trouble taken-for-granted ideas about who is poor and why. And this podcast, titled New Poverty Politics for Changing Times, brings you a series of conversations between poverty scholars, activists, and educators. They think about how to keep questions of poverty and inequality front and center at a time when poverty is not part of the national conversation nearly enough. A foundational premise of the work is that poverty is always produced in relation to privilege and produced through multiple intersecting injustices. It's our hope that these conversations prompt you to think hard about questions of impoverishment and to collaborate with people who are working hard on these issues. Thanks for listening. Um, here we are. Um, I'm here. I'm, I am Sam, Sam Fredman. I'm here with Chris Pearson, who is a longtime service provider, who is currently the community engagement manager with UW's Carlson um, Leadership and Public Service Center. And today we'll be doing an interview for um, a project of the Relational Poverty Network titled A New Poverty Politics for Changing Times What Emerging Nationalist Populisms Mean for Poverty and Inequality. So, just to begin, Chris. Um, can you describe the moment that we're in culturally, socially, politically, what kind of factors are affecting today's climate? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting. I actually kind of feel like we have been in this space for a long time. Um, and it's only because, well, I feel like the election of Donald Trump has kind of brought more things kind of to uh, to a front and to um, and made more things visible than they were previously as far as as far as class goes um, it's interesting so like you know people for a while have been like one of the talking points of the last election was the disappearing middle class and people have been talking about that for a really long time um, and um, and especially here in Seattle this kind of shifting of um, more folks with wealth privilege and the disparities growing uh, more and more in all sorts of ways, right, that mm-hmm. are related to, um, and I think we're seeing this across the country too in all ways that are related to, uh, to wealth access and privilege, right? Yeah. So like um, access to uh, property ownership and um, access to jobs mm-hmm. and um, who can and can't be employed, um, and all those things. And that's kind of the, that's one piece of the climate, yeah. right? <laughs> and then I think the other piece of the climate, which really came out during the election and mm-hmm. was really a, a big piece of Donald Trump's strategy, whether it was, I, I think whether, like, whether it was, like, purposeful or not, yeah. right, was this, um, there's always been this this pitting of uh, working class and poor white folks against working class and poor folks of color, and as a as a distraction, right? And so you see a lot of racism that comes out in poor white communities, a lot of racism, right? Yeah. Um, and a lot of like they're taking our jobs and these other things, and it's like, well, no, like people are not hiring you because they're hiring other people and those people aren't taking your jobs your jobs are being given away and it's actually has nothing to do with you or with the other people who are not doing those jobs it has to do with folks who have wealth privilege who are responsible for those things right but we're seeing the disparity and the and kind of the 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 pitting of those two groups together getting larger and larger and it was a big focal point in the in the Republican campaign with Donald Trump of talking about how uh, foreign folks 
folks from Mexico are, are coming in and stealing jobs. When the reality is that even if they weren't, like, even if, like, Trump gets his dream and we get a wall, <laughs> like, poor white communities are still going to not be getting hired in, by these companies, mm-hmm. and they're going to find another way to, to find some way to supplement their workforce with either folks or automation so that they don't have to pay out as much money in labor, right? And those are kind of, to me, those are kind of the, the big things right now. Mm-hmm. And, we're, and we're seeing a lot of it show up in, in homelessness, which is kind of the reason why it's on my radar, um, because of folks who are like, there were jobs, and now I've reorganized, like my company reorganized because they couldn't afford to pay me anymore, or mm-hmm. these, um, or these things went out of business, or, or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but really, when you when you kind of like look around it's, as to why jobs are disappearing, it has to do has to do with with money, right? And people at the top are still making lots and lots of money, and their pay isn't like flexing in any direction, yeah. right? And if it does, it it right it goes <laughs> up, right? So it isn't really about like what the company can or can't afford. It's about what are people willing to pay or not pay for. And it seems that we have been moving more towards a space um, where people are willing to pay less, are willing to give less to people. Yeah. 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 This reminds me of, in class, sometimes when we're talking about um, systems of oppression, Mm -hmm. you talk about how ultimately oppression is meant to pit people against each other Mm -hmm. and to distract from what is actually happening. So, um, yeah, because nobody is talking about like how their employer is being a jackass. Right. Yeah. Right. Or like any of the accountability or culpability that their employer has in any of the certain decisions. It's all about these other people who are also just trying to put like, are just trying to take care of their families right, in themselves and they have just as little control over all this as the, as all these other communities, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a brilliant tactic that has worked <laughs> so well for so yeah. long, you know, and people are just in, like, and it works so well that these communities just continue to, like, really just kind of get, like, shit on, but, like they're not able to see who's like really responsible for the stuff. So they, Mm -hmm. they keep attacking the wrong folks instead of the people who are actually responsible. What kind of work do you think it would take to pull people out of that? That's a loaded (laughs) question. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh man. I think the answer to that is like so huge and complicated. I know. It's like (laughs) multiple different steps and things. I think and I and I don't know like where in the order of like importance or strategy this goes, mm-hmm. but the first thing that kind of comes to my mind is that there are there are really equitable ways to run businesses to where everyone can still make a living and make money, right? And so I think, but it's it's so hard it's so hard to give up everything that comes with wealth right and so I think we have to talk I think we really need to of all the things we talk about classism in this country and one of if and when we do it at all Mm -hmm. right it's in a very superficial way that um, is usually used uh, as a tool uh, politically for people to kind of like achieve whatever it is that they're working to achieve, right? But we but we don't usually talk about class in a productive way um, that's about uh, making systems more equitable, mm-hmm. right? Um, and all that comes up against the myth that there is class mobility, right? And that people can actually move 
and ha and and actually have control over pulling themselves out of whatever class they're in, which we know is not true, right? Um, and so I think like the biggest thing is probably like really like starting young, talking about class, and so that people who in in power and privilege, right, mm -hmm. and what equitable solutions look like, mm -hmm. so that when people get to those those positions where they're like CEOs of companies and that kind of thing, that they're able to diversify their company, right? And they're able to make more equitable decisions. There's, I can't remember what the company is, but there's a Seattle-based company where the CEO a while ago read an article about how once you make $75,000 a year, mm -hmm. you don't, uh, your, your happiness doesn't increase with the amount of money that you make after that. Okay. And so he found this article to be really interesting and he his board was really upset with him. They were not they were not entirely excited. His business partner was not excited and a bunch of people left, but he was like, "You know what? Like we are going to just start paying everybody $75,000 a year, including myself. Like mm -hmm. no one will make more or less than $75,000 a year in the company. In a like a year, I think they're in year 2 now after that, but a year afterwards like they're still they're still doing really really well. Like he's able to afford the things on the lifestyle that he wants. Yeah. Um, things have not really changed, right? And so I think we need more people who are willing to make those kinds of changes, mm -hmm. right? Especially in cities like this where things are like super expensive. But I think yeah. <laughs> Right, but I but I think that it kind of starts there. Like people just yeah. like us teaching other people to just be like critical about mm -hmm. things and ask lots of questions, right? About like why do I have access to these things and like if I have access to these things, what does that mean about other people and do they have access and if they don't have access, why do they not have access mm -hmm. and like what needs to change and those kinds of things. And actually, like build these into like public school curriculum and be having these conversations like all the time and expose people to it so that when people are in that position right like we're actually like this is how we do business we're asking about these things and when we decide to go in a direction with a business we're asking these kinds of questions right like how's it going to affect the lives of the people who are actually like making us the money right it's i know it sounds a little a little hippie right but it's but i think honestly because like that's the other mechanism of oppression right is yeah. that like it's designed for us to not be connected and essentially like not care about people. Yeah. And the more we care about people and the more connected we are to people, like the more equitably we're going to treat everybody. So I think yeah. it kind of needs to, I think for me, that's a starting place, right? Yeah. It's like the conversation needs to be had more and more people mm -hmm. need to figure out how they can give up the power that they have. Yeah. Right. Yeah, kind of flipping the perspective from looking at individuals who are impoverished to mm -hmm. looking at how wealth, power, and privilege are maintained, like Ananya Roy says. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. What are some key words um, that are carrying weight politically in <laughs> Middle fucking class. <laughs> and what like very <laughs> specifically the disappearing middle class, which is yeah. my least favorite fucking thing <laughs> that anyone has ever said okay. ever. Because the middle class is not disappearing. Okay? Let's be very clear. <laughs> the middle class middle class has not disappeared. Yeah. It hasn't gone anywhere. Right? It's still there. It's still there. <laughs> it's just that what's happening is that who is middle class and what defines middle class as far as income is changing, right? Because of econ because of uh, because of economics and income mm -hmm. of the country. So before when you were considered middle class at like forty thousand dollars a year, right? You are, and especially in Seattle, you are certainly not middle class anymore, yeah. right? But 
nowadays in like Seattle, middle class is between like eighty and one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, and it's actually probably closer to one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year, right? And because you, and it's interesting, right? Because in my mind, folks who are middle class, there's kind of two things. One is your income, right? There's middle class income, and then there are jobs that come with the title of being middle class, and most of those jobs are um, are kind of like middle management to upper management, but not like top management jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so like supervisors in offices and uh, like office managers, like folks who who fill middle agent roles, mm-hmm. um, where they're not really in charge of the decision making, but they um, but they're the ones who are responsible for like the discipline and ensuring order. Like and it's been interesting to watch how typical and also like teachers for a long time, at least in Washington State, were middle class mm-hmm. um, until uh, things like Amazon came in and the and the income of middle class shifted, right? Yeah. And so it's interesting because you've got a lot of different things. So, but it's not that things are disappearing, it's just that things are shifting around, right? And so now you look at Seattle where teachers are uh, are not able, are just like their income, they're not middle class. There's no way mm-hmm. that they can be middle class and those jobs are not middle class jobs anymore. Where management type jobs uh like grocery stores and stuff are not middle class jobs anymore Mm -hmm. um even though they used to and it's shifted to and i think it's market by market right yeah but it's shifted especially in places like seattle and san francisco where programmers are now middle class right and like we look at and like we look at programmers who are making like 110 dollars dollars a year you know compared to like my 50 is mm-hmm. like super rich, right? Yeah. But the reality is that when houses started like seven hundred thousand dollars, right, for like a one bedroom house with a reasonably sized yard, right, in like mm-hmm. Wallingford. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or even in like North Seattle, which when I was in my early twenties, you could buy a house with a large yard in North Seattle for like $120,000, right? So it's not that the middle class is disappearing, it's that it's it's just, it's shifted mm-hmm. to a different place. And the reason why, and, and I think it's a keyword right now because it's another distraction technique. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, right? Because you because we talk about like oh my god the middle class is disappearing right and how it's this like big urgency and it's like oh my god what are we going to do without the middle class right but the reality is that like the working class and the working poor are the ones who actually stabilize and um and keep society going right like they're the ones who are responsible for the actual like delivery and shipment of goods, mm-hmm. right? And the and the growing and picking of goods and uh, the delivery of services, right? And like all of these and all of these other things that we need, right? If we if we move to a single class society, we would always have working class people. Always, because we can't survive without the working class. Like society just can't function without a working class, right? We don't really need other classes, but we do need a working <laughs> class, right? Which is why when people are like, "We should move to a classless society," it's just not going to happen. It's just not possible. We can move to a single class society, and that would be working folks, right? Mm-hmm. But mm, if the middle class was truly disappearing, be like, okay, that's fine. Right, because the hope would be that there would be more, there would be more money for working and working poor folks. Right, when really it would probably just float to the top. Yeah, but it's a distraction, right? Because we're not having conversations about uh, about working class folks, and 
uh, even though, and this is where it gets trickier, right? Because even though there are folks who have like working class jobs, like factory jobs, right? Jobs where uh, your where your body being or being able bodied and your body being healthy is crucial is like linked to your ability to do your job, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's why healthcare is important for working class folks because if you can't go to work, you don't make money, right? Um, and even though like factory jobs sometimes pay lots of money, mm-hmm. right? You, it's still like linked to your physical ability to do the job, right? Yeah. Um, so it gets tricky there. But then you have like working poor folks who, um, you know, when they're when they're accessing welfare, are able to get access to like EBT and SNAP and those kinds of programs. But then they take a low-paying working-class job and they make just enough money to where they don't qualify for those programs anymore. And also, with the pay that they're making, they can't pay, they're not getting paid enough to pay rent and feed their families and all these other things, right? So, and those are things we're not talking about. We're only talking about the disappearing middle class, which is like, and it's interesting because people talk about the middle class as not having wealth privilege when we talk about the disappearing middle class. And the reality is that middle class people are wealth privileged, right? Like middle class people usually don't think about whether or not they are going to go to college, right? Rarely, not always, but they rarely have to think about what's going to happen if they don't have a job, right? Because there are still things that are guaranteed to them. They're just at the bottom of the wealth privilege, right? But they still still have access to wealth in ways that working class and working poor folks don't, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a key word that we saw all over the place. Even my favorite candidate, who I would still vote for for president, was all about the disappearing middle class. And I'm just like, <laughs> I hope that you're just doing this because you know that people are not like nuanced enough to really to like really understand like that this is that like this is a scam, but like that you know better, <laughs> right? But it's really it's really intense because mm-hmm. it's just one of the ways that we because while we're talking about this and it's like our ballot cry, right? Because it's like middle-class folks are still able to afford $2,000 a month for rent and can still like pay for food and like don't have to worry about going hungry, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not a thing that like working and working poor folks like get the option of, right? But as long as we are like that's a huge keyword and we're talking about the disappearing middle class we're going to focus on shoring up the middle class which is not actually something that we need Mm -hmm. and it's going to continue to keep us from thinking about how how do we actually make things more equitable for working and working poor folks and just poor folks right are there any other keywords that are highlighting invisibilities like that that you can think of I'm sure there are plenty there are so many yeah that's that's the one that like gets me the most, mm-hmm. right? Um, and kind of the one that I, I see used like kind of the most the most strategically, right? Yeah. Donald Trump talked a lot about about like working class jobs as part of his platform. Mm-hmm. I don't recall that he ever used the term working class, but he talked a lot about like industry jobs right okay, like yeah. coal like coal mining and um and like factory jobs and things like that mm-hmm. right and i and that's a pretty that's been like a pretty big keyword for for him and for the republican party mm-hmm. and democrats do it too right like let's let's be let's be very honest right um it was present in the on the Democrat side of the election as well, um, and it's interesting, right? Because it's it's a way to get people really excited and kind of like keep folks in the game, but it essentially is kind of it's kind of empty promises because mm-hmm. we don't really do anything about it. But we talk about these industry jobs all the time, right? But yes. what we're not talking about are the ways that, like, industries are changing or becoming or 
or becoming um, not viable anymore, mm-hmm. right? Um, because of people switching to other things, um, or they're just not as efficient, mm-hmm. you know? Um, or moving abroad, or moving... Right, right, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly, things. right, yeah. exactly. Like, all sorts, all sorts of things, right? Um, you know, and it was interesting when, like, people were real upset with President Obama when he told Apple that they needed to move all their stuff back to the U.S., right? You can't have it all! Right? Right? Like, the reactions that all these people had, he's like, no, you need to manufacture that stuff here, right? And, like, the super strong reaction. Folks that are not connected to it, right? Mm -hmm. Are just because we've, like, eaten up the mythos of all the things, right? And, like, even though, like... It's also like it's so complicated because even though it's like part of the mythos too that like, you know, Trump's like American jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, American industry, oh, we're gonna bring industry back to the I U.S., know. right? My favorite example of this is we're gonna build a wall mm-hmm. and we're gonna have Mexico pay for it and build mm-hmm. it, and like. But so many problematic things. So many. <laughs> the biggest of which, and I want to be clear because this is being recorded, I'm, <laughs> I am not now, nor have I ever or will ever be in favor of building a wall. Oh, but I just want to spell it out that if you are about creating more jobs for Americans, you should actually have us build the wall because then you're creating jobs yep. for U.S. folks, which is interesting, right? Because when the whole Keystone Pipeline thing was happening, President Obama was really against, from the beginning, it was very clear that he was against building the Keystone Pipeline. Mm-hmm. And it's because it wasn't going to bring U.S. jobs. It yeah. was it was mostly labor that was going to be involved in that was mostly going to benefit Mexico and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Dakota Access Pipeline... He was very silent on the whole thing, and it's because it was it was actually going to the jobs were going to stay in the U.S. So it was, um, which is which is some interesting class stuff too, right? Yeah. Because you have, which is why there's like a lot of weirdness around the oil industry in this company because mm-hmm. you have these oil barons who run these companies. But the people who are like doing the drilling and are um, and are responsible for the actual like production stuff, like the geophysicists make bananas amounts mm-hmm. of money, right? But the folks who like drive the forklifts and like the other stuff are all working class folks, right? And people will argue like, well, but they're getting paid well, I'm like yeah, but like you think about the sacrifice too, like they're away from their families. Mm-hmm. For, for most of the year and they have to work in all sorts of like abhorrent weather and the, the, the stress that they have to put their bodies through mm-hmm. in order to get the job done which are things that like CEOs right and like middle class folks are able to make equivalent money without putting their bodies at risk yeah. right and that's kind of one of the big differences yeah yeah these kind of politics that are lending invisibility to certain groups and highlighting um, or like enabling politics of others Mm -hmm. Um, what can disruptive politics and interpret that as you will (laughs) do in terms of activism against these narratives it kind of goes back to the beginning right when Mm -hmm. we were talking about just having like having the conversation and it doesn't even need to be direct right it's really about like encouraging people to just be really critical from like a very early age Mm -hmm. right and just like asking all sorts of questions and 
not being afraid to ask questions that they know people are not going to like to have asked of them, right? I think that is, I think that's the first thing, mm-hmm. right? And I think, and, because I think, I think politics is interesting, right? Because we, we try so hard to separate politics, right? People are like, well, that's political. And I, right? Don't, I don't engage. <laughs> right? And just like, we don't talk about politics. And Nintendo yeah. did this interesting thing a while ago where they, they came out, somebody asked them about their, like, all these other video game companies mm-hmm. are having, like, LG, like, LGB... And, and trans characters and are taking, you know, and, like, why have you not, like, you only have straight, hetero stuff in your games? Mm-hmm. And the response was, we are not a political company. And my reaction to that kind of thinking is, why is that political, right? And so we, I feel like we use the term political, right, to, like, or we politicize things, in order to not have to talk about them or to, like, push them away, mm-hmm. when really it's it's not about politics, right? And I think that's kind of the place where I'm going with, like, this question is that, like, it really is all just about, like, how how is it that, like, we want to show up for things and how do we want, like, other people in the community to show up for things, right? And... I don't think it's really about politics. And so if it isn't about politics, then it's just about, like, plain, like, disruption, right? Yeah. Just, like, how do you disrupt it? And I and I think the way that you disrupt anything is not being afraid to get close and connected to people, right, is, like, the key, mm-hmm. right? It's the key way to disrupt anything, right? And then... Have you ever seen Adam Ruins Everything? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Did you did you watch the election special? I don't think so. So he talks about how he like tracked the um the separation between parties mm-hmm. and how like um like back like he went backwards from like where they are now where they're just like, No, I won't ever work with anyone who is this party, right? And tracked like back through like the last like 70 years how um how much the two parties how much overlap there was Mm -hmm. and the farther you go back like in the 60s and 70s there was a lot of overlap and there really was like a lot of bipartisan stuff and people Mm -hmm. were just kind of all over the place and it really hasn't been until recently that the parties have been really polarized right and so I think and so that so I think about that because it's it's about like disconnection, right? Mm-hmm. And I think really if we're going to disrupt anything, we've got to we have we can't be afraid to like get in it with people who don't share our opinions or um, you know have like terrible politics, right? Like I've heard a lot of the students in class talk about like uh, like these conversations I have to have with my parents, right? Mm-hmm. And like. We're not ever going to, like, we're just not going to agree with people all the time. Yeah. And, like, but a lot of times that keeps us separated, right? And so how do we, how do we, like, disagree with people and have people who just, like, say really fucked up shit, right? <laughs> like, yeah. but how do we not let that push us away, right? And how do we still, how do we still, like, push and strive for a close connected relationship with them, right? And yeah. not to say that we ignore it, right? But how do we how do we go in there for the relationship mm-hmm. and how do we fight for the relationship and I think fighting for the relationship and also just being honest with where we're at is is key, mm-hmm. right? Because if we are just like, I'm just going to say really dumb things and just to avoid conflict. And then right, mm-hmm. right. But you can like you can have heated conversations and still you know and at the end like the two of you are still sharing a beer at like you know and are mm-hmm. making plans to go see a movie right like 
Yeah. You know, and I think that's really where the disruption has to take place. Is really mm-hmm. just like, how do we how do we stay connected, right? Because we can talk about like political insurgencies, right, and like making in like in like tangible like strategic ways to make things more equitable, right? Mm-hmm. Like systems and stuff, right, and like outreach to impoverished communities who and like how we make things more accessible and like those kinds of things and like I think that all that stuff is really good and needs to happen and also won't get any traction if we can't figure out how to build relationships like because it's it's what's at the crux of everything yeah no definitely I in my studies we talk a lot about um legal issues mm-hmm. and the social factors that influence them mm-hmm. and so this is a big big topic of interest for me mm-hmm. is social mobilization behind legal and political mm-hmm. issues to reach desired outcomes yeah. um i mean if you because i'm a big fan of like revolution movements mm-hmm. um just because i think they're fascinating and if you and if you look at any successful revolution or resistance movement mm-hmm the people who have been involved all share the the commonality that they all share is that they're really good at building relationships right like they are like and they're good at connecting mm-hmm. and they're good at being close right yeah um and you look at and you look at things, systems or governments that have failed, right? And you look at the people who were in leadership at the time, and they were not good with relationships, and they uh, kept themselves pretty separate. Yeah. What yeah. would that relationship building look like between classes? It it would have to it would have to involve folks with wealth privilege actually being able to acknowledge that they have it they have a thing (laughs) yes yes yeah because from my understanding a lot of class is geographically and spatially Mm -hmm. um split yeah other than the people who are doing the groundwork Mm -hmm. for maintaining places right oh yeah 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 the geography of wealth yeah, yep. for sure. Which is why gentrification is such a huge problem, and that would be a key word, right? Yes, for gentrification sure. Gentrification and displacement. Yeah, and seeing because yeah. I found in a lot of these conversations that most of these key terms have flips that mm-hmm. are more progressive and more indicative of what is actually occurring. Yeah. So. of your background with um, Mm -hmm. community engagement and also your current position Mm -hmm. um, with the University of Washington um, who should poverty and inequality researchers and academics be collaborating with Mm -hmm. in this time? This is one of the things I really like about RPN actually Mm -hmm. is that they make they don't just make an effort like they, they partner with people who are experiencing poverty Right and work to not just amplify their voices, but actually bring the vo- those voices to the table. Like they get to have a say in the things that are happening. Right, and I think that that's really huge. Um, and I think that, like, whenever whenever we're doing work around specific communities, you can't do that work without including people from those communities and it's not just about like including them right like I think the common thing is to be like I've seen this a lot in social work right where we're like we'll take surveys of our guests right yeah like our guests say this thing but but the guests aren't actually like involved in the decision making process right like they tell us what's going on and for those of us who are working for the organization or housed 
we may or may not use their input. They have a voice, but they lack agency to... Right. Yeah. Right. But truly, to make things equitable, those those voices have to have to have equitable agency mm-hmm. and representation, right? So, like, homeless shelters should have guests on the board as voting members, right? Mm-hmm. With all the same rights and privileges of everybody else, right? And there should be enough spots to, like, not just one, right? But, mm-hmm. like, not just one position, but there needs to be, like, needs to be proportional to however there many seats there are, right? So that there is actually, so that there is actually, like, voting power, right? Because whatever, because whatever it is we're doing to bring, to, to ally with or bring voices to the table needs to be in a way that we are actually, um, that we're flipping the power dynamic or we are making the power dynamic more equitable, right? And, and that it's accessible, too, right? So, like, board meetings can't be held in, like, a downtown office skyscraper on, like, the 80th floor (laughs) where you have to, like, give an ID and, like, $20 to the guard to, like, get in, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, But that's the biggest thing is that we, like, it's not just about working with communities. It's that communities are, we're doing, we're communities are are actively part of the process mm-hmm. right and they and, and that we're actually doing we're doing this work together as equal partners mm-hmm. right um, and also taking like actually taking their lead I think really the biggest thing is just like figuring out where are the places where we can give up power right and it's the hardest thing to do because nobody wants to give up the power that they have, yeah. right? And people, like, go into a thing and they're just like, I have this great idea of how to make this thing perfect, but if I... Your ideas might be different from mine, so I don't want you to have the same kind of power that I have, yeah. right? But, we, but, like, truly, if this is what we're looking at, like, mm-hmm. we need to figure out how, how to give up the power that we have and then but to give it to those who don't have power and to bring them in, right? Like, that's... And that's also part of the... um, The other question that you asked me that I don't remember the word for, the disruption, right? Oh, yeah. 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 I think that's... To me, that's, like, the biggest piece, right? Mm -hmm. God, who is it? There is this, like, wonderful Aboriginal woman from Australia, and I wish I could remember her name. She has this marvelous quote where she says essentially she said if you have come if if you've come to like help me or do a thing for me like get out of here like I don't want to have anything to do Mm -hmm. with you right but if you are here because your liberation is tied up with mine then let's work together yeah right and it's like it's true right and you're gonna get more done that way Mm -hmm. plus it's just a beautiful sentiment wonderful agreed yeah um can you expand upon what you mean by equity versus equality yeah there is this great picture that i do not have in my office that i (laughs) wish that i did yeah that spells this out really beautifully right so there's a it says equality and there's this baseball field and there's this family of of three a dad uh who's who's tall and there's this mm-hmm. fence right and the dad can see over the fence and um and then his middle son uh is is not quite tall enough to see over the fence mm-hmm. um and then his youngest son totally can't see over the fence right yeah. and so that's the first frame and the second frame says equality right and so they all get one box to stand on okay. right um because they all get the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So the youngest son still can't see over the fence, right? Yeah. Uh, the middle son can now s- see over the fence, and the dad, who didn't need a box to start with to see over the <laughs> fence, can now just is now just taller, right? Yeah. But his view hasn't really changed. And then the next frame says equity, 
and the dad doesn't have any boxes, the middle son has one box, and the youngest son has two boxes. So they all, so, so they can all see over the fence, mm-hmm. right? And so they are getting, so they're getting the same end result, so that's where the equality piece is in that. Mm-hmm. But equity is understanding that in order to, in order for everybody to get the same benefit, not everybody needs the same thing, right? Yeah. And that things need to be different. And I think that's a place where in social justice movements and in politics, <laughs> right, we get real hung up because we're like, equality, and like, we can't give you a thing that we're not giving to other people, mm-hmm. but we want you to have access to this thing, and so we give people this thing because we're giving it to, like, white folks, right? But, like, or, like, white wealthy folks, like, let's be real clear. But it's actually going to take more because of where people are starting from, right? So we're giving them a thing, and then it's not working out, and then it leads to, like, really terrible single stories, right? Yeah. Um, Because we're like, well, we gave them the same thing, and they couldn't prosper, so obviously, like they're lazy or it's about education like they weren't educated enough to use the tools like no it's not about any of that you didn't give them enough damn boxes education's not going to make somebody grow faster like you know what I mean Um, there's a third frame to that uh, to that cartoon though that I think is is really apt uh, that that says liberation Mm -hmm. and it's just all of them sitting on the ground and they're taking the fence down oh I love that which is really, like, the place that, like, I try, like, I really want to aim for. Because I'm just like, equity is great, but what if we just tear the fucking fence down? <laughs> that would... Hard work. <laughs> right? Right? Maybe just as hard or harder than getting equity. But yeah. that's kind of that's kind of a simple explanation of equity. Mm-hmm. I had... I worked with this marvelous woman. Marvelous woman. Who was a former Black Panther. And she... Um, and she would tell me all the time she's just like we don't want equality we need equity equity is what we need (laughs) if it's going to be equal I don't want to fuck with that oh that's so marvelous I loved her she was like 60 and amazing she's still in her 60s and still amazing (laughs) yeah yeah so that's the definition In your work, where have you seen, like, keywords, politics, all this good stuff um, yeah. really, like, come together, like, condense, I guess? It's in a lot of different places, right? Especially working in social services, because you, you're still working with a lot of folks who are working out of, like, a charity mindset, right? And those folks are still having a really hard time separating from the idea of uh, deserving poor and undeserving poor. Mm -hmm. And that's a big place where we see that kind of stuff pop up, right? Where those keywords pop up. Um, You know, it's it's interesting because you've taken the ropes, right? And so we, and when we talk about... we do this intersectionality exercise um, and when we are talking about like groups that have power groups that don't mm-hmm. right all all the white wealth privileged folks in the room for class want to say like that wealthy people have power and that middle class people don't have any power mm-hmm. I'm just like ah. <laughs> just yeah. like you're so Downwardly mobile. <laughs> Which is like also a construct, right? Of like how like it all like all the pieces stay in place, right? And so like of course like middle class people don't want to give anything up because they feel like they're at the bottom. Yeah. Right? And it's like there are two classes underneath you. Two. Mm-hmm. You're so like you're called middle class for a reason because you're not on the bottom. Because not lower. <laughs> yeah. Being in the middle is better than being on the bottom. Yeah. yeah. 
There's um, a lot of visibility gained. Yeah. And then invisibility yeah. given to yeah. the lower classes. Yeah, for sure. But it's interesting how it pops up, right? And and I think and I'd be interested in what your experience is. But I see the class I see like I think education is another keyword, right? Mm-hmm. And you see that a lot in social services when as a single story, right? When people are yeah. like I just don't understand why these homeless people don't just go to school. It's like, well, because you had access to money, yeah. which allowed you to go to school, or access to people with resources who could point you to other resources that helped you get money to go to school, right? Because you're middle class, yeah. right? Um, and even like you were raised assuming that you would be going to school. Right. Is yeah. another thing. Yeah, exactly. You know? Or, you know, just, like, this keyword of, like, education fixes everything, right? And, like, they haven't talked to the person who's, like, 25 who just finished their second master's, right? Both of which they did while they were staying in shelters, right? And so, like, it's, you know, so education is, like, is an interesting piece, you know, where people are just, like... This is like this is the thing that will fix all the things, and it's like yeah. it doesn't though. Yeah. You know, so I think those are kind of those are kind of the things that I mm-hmm. that I have seen the most as far as classes related. Yeah. Right is lots of talk about education will fix everything, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then the meritocracy, the merit myth, right? Yeah. Just like. Why you know so jobs right like yeah. why don't you have a job? I'm actually working three jobs. How many jobs are you working? Right like oh yeah. you know like every it's like oh like I'm not working a job like I'm you know and there are volunteers who work jobs right but mm-hmm. there are a lot of college students who are getting loans you know yeah. and. You know, it's interesting because in, like, some places, like, in some senses, right, like, you're getting a loan because you don't have access to wealth. Mm -hmm. And there's ways that being able to be granted that loan is a privilege that other people don't have access to. Yeah. You know? Um, Because it's a privilege to be able to not work and just concentrate on your schoolwork. Yeah. You know? And, like, yes, you have to pay it back. And it's still a privilege that, like, these folks don't have access to, right? Where they're just like, how am I going to make money? Right? Yeah. Or, I wish I didn't have to work three jobs and still stay in a shelter, right? Yeah. Like. And not receive any benefits and still have to stay in a shelter. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, those are kind of the things that I see the most. And when working in the Carlson Center, we still see a lot of stuff around, like, class mostly Mm -hmm. stuff around education and mostly stuff around like meritocracy for sure no absolutely even in the class that um i'm taking with you and vicky lawson it's been kind of interesting for me to as someone who came from a background of Mm -hmm. working with the populations that we're talking about Mm -hmm. and the communities quote quote Mm -hmm. unquote (laughs) that we're talking about um to see what people's perceptions of those people are um, and the kinds of things that they think that they need um, without any look into what they want yeah (laughs) right Right. so I'm gonna fix this thing for you yeah did you ask me what I need though oh thank you how do you know (laughs) how do you know what to fix if you don't know what's wrong and I also noticed um, and this has been recurring um, for um, these younger academics right where there's this desire to immediately fix things and not acknowledging the need for interdisciplinary and incremental (laughs) changes um, and getting really disillusioned really quickly. Um, Actually, I'm interested in how you've fought that with your work in all these communities. How have you remained engaged and... For me personally? Yeah. Yeah. I think really it's summed up by like one interaction that I had with someone who was a mentor to me when I was a young person and he 
it's been a dream of mine to write a book just called like what I figured out about young people and essentially just interview all of these like amazing adults that I have had the opportunity of working with over the years who you know some of them are like really problematic but like on the flip side of being problematic they have also figured out stuff about like young people and how to work with young people that like other people are just like they're never they're just never gonna figure out right Mm -hmm. and so when I was like in my mid-twenties I uh this guy was still was still working with high school students um in this like leadership based outdoor outdoor program um and so I asked if I could if I could be an associate advisor with him and what he told me was yeah you can work with me if you want to he's like this like super grizzled like really gritty dude he's funny as hell <laughs> and he he's just like you can work with me if you want to but you need to know you'll never get a thank you from anybody ever for this work yeah. and if you want to do this work you need like you need to be able to remember that everything you do is important and meaningful and you have to be okay with nobody ever reminding you of that because it's just not going to happen like you have to remind you and that was kind of and so I've carried that with me for like it was profound I'm like oh yeah people right but you start looking right it's like the story i think i told in class about the about the guest i had who was like i don't bother you to know staff right because mm-hmm. they just blow out of here and they don't really care about me and i was like mm-hmm. i'm still gonna i'm still gonna like say hello and username mm-hmm. and just tell you that it's good to see you every night and so mm-hmm. like six months later this dude is just like uh will you tell me your name because I don't, I don't know your name, and you're really nice to me every night, and I feel bad, and I feel like I should know your name, right? Uh-huh. And like that was him saying thank you. Yeah. He was never right, or like I tell volunteers this all the time, and I'm just like, yeah, the way you're gonna know that somebody that like you've built a relationship, you're really important to someone, is you're going to go on vacation for a couple weeks. You're not going to tell anybody. You're going to come back, and the first words out of a guest's mouth, who has never said anything to you in the two years that you've been showing up <laughs> once a week, is yeah. where the fuck did you go? That's so true. And they're going to cuss you out, <laughs> and they're going to be real mad, and they're going to be like, you should have told somebody that you were leaving, and they'll storm off, and they won't talk to you again for another couple years until the next time you leave. But that's actually them saying hey, like, I feel really safe with you and you being here, like, you've actually, like, this relationship means a lot to me, right? And, like, so it's about, like, translating, really, and just kind of, like, knowing what, you know. Some people, I used to teach this class on, like, how how do I identify uh, young people in need? And I would just have people, like, write all sorts of things up there, right? And so, of course, like, everyone, like, the go-tos, right, are just, like, quiet, sullen, withdrawn, uh, like, angry, right? Yeah. And so I, you get this list. I'm like, great. So let's fill in all the things that we didn't generate in this list, right? And I'd be, yeah. like, happy, joyful, right? <laughs> Singing, like, yeah. uh, outgoing, right? Like jovial joking right like yeah. class clown and all these because it's like for like older like male dudes who are kind of, who are like also kind of withdrawn and sullen yeah, and, all <laughs> and they're all like they're like that doesn't make sense they're like high-fiving i'd write like popular up there too you're like that yeah. doesn't make any sense i'm like the point i'm trying to get across to you is that like you don't know like yeah People present in all sorts of different ways when they are having a hard time. Yeah. And the only way we know is when we build a relationship. It's the only so way. Aw. And it's like, it's so funny, right? But that's the way that I've like kind of figured out, right? Yeah. That's like kept me going is like, you just show up and you're just like, you know, they get to decide when things are better and I just hang out. So they tell me that, like, things are good. Or they stop showing up, and then I just assume that things are good. 
Like, oh, I haven't seen you in like yeah. three months. I'm just gonna decide that you got housing. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So, so, so true. Right? <laughs> well, I want to be respectful of your time, and um, this has been an awesome interview. Um, thank you for a green interview with me today. Yeah, of course. I learned so many things. <laughs> <That's so good. laughs>